Hey, this is Eric, and you're listening to the Story Church Podcast. Our podcast features audio from Sunday mornings at Story Church in Peru, Indiana, a community on the mission of connecting people's story to God's story. If you'd like to connect with us further, check out storyperu.com. Our hope is that today's episode helps you take your next step on your faith journey. We're wrapping up this series today, and uh, if you haven't been with us or maybe you've slept since then, it's been a lot of fun, at least for me. Hopefully you've enjoyed it as well. Uh, the past four weeks, as we've basically tried to like look under the hood of what we believe as Jesus followers and specifically how we express that belief uh, here at Story Church. Uh, I've said this every single week that uh, whenever you walk into any kind of environment or have any kind of experience, you have a set of expectations when you walk into that. If you're newer here today, maybe you, you expected uh, what the music would be like, you expected somebody to talk to you, or I don't know what you, all you had in mind, but anywhere you go, you have a set of expectations. And what we're doing through this series is really trying to fill in the picture uh, of what it looks like to be a part of Story Church and really what we're all about as a group of Jesus followers. And we've talked about what we believe, not in terms of like a checklist or a creed or something that you have to memorize or get right or wrong, but all along the way through this series, we've talked about faith in the context of a story, because we believe here that that's really what scripture is, that it's this unified story that points us to Jesus, and that faith, as it's lived out and as it's really expressed, it's less about embracing the right bullet point beliefs, and it's more about embracing and wrestling with the right story, understanding where we find ourselves in this world and where God's at and what it means for us to interact and connect with him. And so uh, that's what we've been talking about, and every single week we've started in the same way. It's last week, so if you're tired of it, this is the last time you have to deal with it. Uh, But I've acknowledged that we do believe some things around here, and the number one thing that uh, I want you to know about Story Church, it's that we're a Jesus-centered community, that we really believe Jesus is who he says he is, that Jesus is at the center of everything that we do, including crazy egg drop events and that kind of stuff. Like ultimately, it may not look like it on the surface, but that's about Jesus. He's at the core of it. And uh, honestly, we try to follow the irresistible nature of Jesus's life. There's this crazy reality that people who are nothing like Jesus actually liked Jesus. And so that's how we try to carry ourselves in the community. That's the kind of culture that we wanna create and how we want to engage with an ever-changing world. And so we've talked about that along the way as well. Like, how do we navigate some of these tensions that we feel in our world today between our historic faith and an ever-changing world? And one thing that we do is we take our cue from Jesus. Uh, I've said every single week that we trust the Bible as it points to Jesus. And, and then beyond that, if you're like desperate for that bullet point list, uh, I've tried to point you towards the Apostles' Creed, which is this ancient summary, essentially, of what the earliest Jesus followers believed. And if you want to look it up, I mean, you can Google it, you can read it. Uh, It's pretty much straightforward Christianity 101. And and every week I've acknowledged that outside of those essentials, we actually encourage a diversity of thought here at Story. Uh, There's actually disagreement. I'm sure if I took a poll across some of the the big issues, probably some of the small issues, there would be differences of opinion in the row that you're in right now, right? Even within our leadership team, there are some differences of opinion. And and we don't think that's something to be afraid of. We actually think it's something to celebrate uh, because if we all think the same, somebody's not thinking, that we actually grow through the wrestling and through the working out uh, of faith. And and so really quick, rapid fire, I'm going to walk you through where we've been the past four weeks throughout this story of God that we've said scripture reveals to us. And on week one, we started at the very beginning with what do we believe about God? And and at the core, we said uh, what John actually wrote down, that God is love. Not that God is loving or he acts loving sometimes, but at his very core, God is love. And we explored this mystery, just kind of scratching the surface 
uh, of the Trinity. And the idea of the Trinity is that God kind of mysteriously exists as three distinct persons within this one entity uh, known as God. And, And we talked about how it's like this divine dance where the Father loves the Son, who loves the Spirit, who loves the Father, and on and on and on they go, existing in this perfect, loving community. But we didn't stop there because this endlessly knowable community of love known as God actually created a world to share that love with even more. And he put people, you and me, in that world to be participants in that divine dance of love. And God is the king over that world. And he created this kingdom where people could worship him and participate, like I said, in that same dance of love that God himself has been doing from the very beginning. And the word that we use to describe the way the world was created was this idea of shalom, We said that the world was actually created good, and and shalom is about universal flourishing and wholeness and delight, and that is where the story of us actually started, that God made a good world, and he made you good, and we actually start with this original blessing, but unfortunately, we don't stay there very long. Uh, It's like two chapters in that things start to go kind of sideways, and this thing called sin enters the world, but what we talked about in week two is that sin is less about a list of rights and wrongs or do's and don'ts but sin is actually the culpable disruption of shalom. That, that it's sin, anytime that universal flourishing and that wholeness that God created the world in, anytime that's disrupted. That's what we're talking about when we talk about sin. Sin is anything that fractures our connection with God or with other people or anything that disrupts the way that God created things to be. Then on week three, we kind of jumped back into the Trinity and we talked specifically about the person of the Holy Spirit. And we talked about how, like, depending on your church context, sometimes people really emphasize the Holy Spirit. Sometimes people kind of, like, shove him under the rug and pretend he's not really there. And we said neither of those approaches are really fully accurate, but that the Holy Spirit is an important part of every Jesus follower's life. That if you want to actually live as a part of Jesus's kingdom community, the Holy Spirit's role is that the Spirit empowers God's people to follow Jesus in the ways of his kingdom. That our job, if you're here and you're trying to follow Jesus, your job isn't to strive harder. It's not to try harder to be better. But really following Jesus starts with dependence on his spirit to make and remake you into his image day after day after day. So we said that following Jesus is ultimately about surrender more than it's about striving. And then last week we honed in on that idea of Jesus and his ways, uh, the ways of his kingdom. We talked about what is the kingdom of God and what does it mean uh, for us to be a part of it. And, And we just talked about the confusing reality that the kingdom of God is actually both a now and a not yet. That the kingdom of God in some ways has not yet fully been realized, but Jesus announced when he walked this earth that the kingdom of God was beginning to break through that he was reestablishing his kingdom here on earth. And uh, we talked about this idea of liminal space where you're kind of in between stuff along the way. That's what the kingdom of God is like. And so in light of that, we said that our job as Jesus followers is to proclaim the not yet, to proclaim the hope that we have in the future, but at the same time to live it out in the now, in the middle of our everyday, ordinary, still kind of broken lives. We're called to live as if God's future is breaking into the present. Uh, One of my favorite illustrations of this comes from a theologian named uh, N.T. Wright, who we're going to hear from a little bit today. And he said basically that Jesus followers are like people wearing their raincoats before it's raining, right? We're acting like the future is here now. We're acting like God's kingdom is here, even though it has not yet been fully realized. And we know that what we do for God's kingdom here and now actually lasts into eternity. And that's what I want to talk about today as we wrap things up. We're going to talk about the idea of eternity and what happens for us after this life. 
And I can tell, like, maybe you're already kind of leaning in because that means we're going to talk about heaven and hell. And maybe you're like, okay, we can talk about heaven. Don't talk about hell, right? Nobody wants to do that. Uh, But the truth is, I think all of us, in fact, people throughout generations and cultures have been interested in life after this life. They've been curious about what really happens. And uh, one of my favorite comedians, who's not super church appropriate, so don't check him out, uh, but his name's Pete Holmes. He, he talked about how some of his comedian friends, uh, they actually like question the nature of belief in an afterlife. They're like, that's crazy. How could you really believe in an afterlife? And, and Pete points out like, life itself is kind of crazy, right? Like afterlife maybe seems hard to believe in, but like you didn't do anything to be here today. Like life itself just kind of happened and you like woke up and you're like, here I am and I'm a person and, and you're trying to figure it out. And I think that that's really a true thing of our experience, right? Like we don't know as much as we think we know, but all of us wonder uh, what's next and, and what's life after this life looks like. And in his book, uh, Simply Titled Heaven, author Randy Alcorn makes the case that most cultures have actually been shaped by the sense that we will live forever somewhere. The Egyptians built great pyramids and and the embalmed bodies that they put in them had maps placed beside them as guides to the future world. Uh, The Australian Aborigines pictured heaven was this distant island beyond the western shore. And Native Americans believed that their spirit in the afterlife would continue to hunt the spirits of the buffalo. Like different cultures have different belief systems, but all of us lean into this question of eternity. And in fact, Randy Alcorn puts it this way. He says, the unifying testimony of the human heart throughout history is belief in life after death. Every culture has a God-given innate sense of the eternal, that this world is not all that there is. But unfortunately, I think for Jesus followers, there's a lot of misconceptions out there about what life after this life really looks like and what uh, Jesus actually talked about. In fact, many of our ideas of heaven and hell come more from the Middle Ages and pop culture than they actually come from scripture and from Jesus and his kingdom. And so since the 14th century, many of our ideas about hell have been shaped by this uh, play or this book, this poem really, uh, known as Dante's Inferno. And so if you're not familiar with Dante's Inferno, one of our production guys today said it's like ancient Christian fan fiction (laughs) where (laughs) Dante uh, records this journey that he goes through hell guided by the poet, uh, the Roman poet Virgil. And in this uh, narrative, in this poem, hell is portrayed as this place with nine concentric circles of torment where there's different levels of hell, right? And it gets worse and worse as you keep going through it. And in this realm, uh, those who have rejected good spiritual values experience pain and torment. And this is like why we have this image of hell being a bad place. So much of the imagery that we think about when we think about hell was actually shaped by Dante, not necessarily by Jesus. And we'll get to that in a little bit. But when it comes to heaven, much of our vision of heaven, I think, is shaped by popular culture as well, right? We think about it as a good place that we go to where we want to be, right? Most of us know, like, that's the good one. Don't want to talk about the other one. Uh, but in fact, if you've ever seen the show, The Good Place, uh, it, I think, kind of captures the general cultural sense of what heaven is like, that there's some moral scale out there. And if you're good enough, you get in. And then in The Good Place, uh, you end up in this, like, personalized, individualized, amazing space where there's frozen yogurt all the time. You get to live with your soulmate forever, whether you met them or not on earth, like you're finally connected with them. And uh, one of my favorite things about the show, The Good Place, uh, they can't swear at all in The Good Place. And so there's a character who tries often and uh, she ends up saying shirt and fork a lot instead of maybe a few other things. But it's often like, that's a funny show, probably not super accurate to what uh, eternal life or life after this life ultimately looks like. But I think this question of of like, where do we go after we die? Like, what is our ultimate destination? And is it heaven or is it hell? That question 
at some times has become kind of an obsession within the church, and for good reason, right? If it's true, the stakes are very high, but specifically uh, around uh, World War II and kind of the modern age in America, there were these great crusades. Maybe you've heard of Billy Graham, like he was one of the most famous. They would go on these tours throughout the nation and they did incredible good, so please don't hear me criticizing, but the focus at times could be so uh, dialed in on people making a decision to follow Jesus. That faith in Jesus and a belief in life after this life often kind of became a form of fire insurance. Right, where if you say the prayer, then you're safe from going to the bad place and you will spend eternity forever in heaven with Jesus regardless of what you do with the rest of your life. And, and I'm not saying that that's all untrue. I'm not saying that that's all bad. In fact, there is some truth to it. But I think that that picture of life after this life is actually incomplete. It's actually lesser than the story that scripture reveals to us. And so what I hope you can see that today as I move forward and as we kind of talk about what we believe about the afterlife, it's that you could see that even though we're talking about something that will happen in the future for us, it actually has incredible implications on our present. That the things we believe about heaven and hell and eternity should actually shape the way that we live right here and right now. And I would argue that the way that this story is often framed culturally is actually wrong. It's less than what the kingdom story is. And to give you a picture of what I mean, here's kind of how the story typically is told culturally. That uh, there's earth here and now, right? You're on it. You're spinning around on a big rock through space, which that's a trippy thing to think about. But, but like we're here, we're on earth. And that's where like the activity of our life happens, where, where you and I interact, right? We, we're born and, and we grow up and many of us get married. We have families and we raise those families and then we retire and then we go to Florida and then eventually, right? It comes to an end. And, and, and at that end, uh, often, we think that it goes like this, right? That there's this destination that's good, known as heaven, or not so good, known as hell. But these things are all separate realities. That life as we know it happens here on earth, then life after this life happens in heaven or happens in hell. And in this framing, we don't necessarily have any experience of heaven or hell in this life. It's just what's waiting for us. It's our final destination out there. They appear as these two competing destinations for our eternity, where we talk about people either going to heaven or going to hell. What I hope I can show you today is that the story of scripture doesn't actually look like that. But the kingdom story looks more like this, where there is earth, right? You and I, we are on it, that part's true. But heaven and hell aren't as separate and aren't as distant into the future as we often like to think. But in the kingdom story, heaven and hell are not only future realities, but they're current realities that we can experience in some way here and now. Like on the positive side, there are these overlaps where the kingdom of heaven, where, where things as they will ultimately be, break through. And, and we experience these incredibly joyful moments, these incredibly love-filled moments, right? Heaven is a place on earth. Like that, there's some truth to that. And moments along the way. On the negative side, right? We have all been through a living hell at times where, where you've experienced something that's not as it ought to be, where you see brokenness. And so heaven and hell aren't just distant realities in the future, but they're actually in some ways present realities that show up in our lives along the way. Or author Joshua Ryan Butler explained it like this. He said, our world is being ravaged by the destructive power of hell. Sin has unleashed it, right? We talked about that in week two, that brokenness. It's unleashed it into God's good world and God is on a mission to get it out. Or another way to say that is that in the kingdom story, right, heaven and hell, they're not just about the future, 
They're actually present realities. And in fact, this is what we talked about last week when we talked about the kingdom of God and how the kingdom is both now and not yet. That overlap between heaven and earth that we experience, that's the now and not yet of God's kingdom. That, that every time we get a taste of how things should be, we're getting a little experience or a little taste of heaven on earth. And remember, like Jesus actually told his followers to pray for more of this, that his kingdom would come and that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. So as we move forward with the rest of our time, with that picture framing our conversation, I want to move forward and I want to like hone in on both of those realities, heaven and hell in a little more detail. And uh, if you're like me, it's good to get the bad news out of the way first. So we're going to talk about hell for a second. Most of us would prefer not to, right? In fact, some of us have abandoned a belief in hell altogether because it's really uncomfortable and nobody likes to think about it. But if Jesus is our king over the kingdom, then we have to come to grips with the truth that he who shows God's love in so many incredible ways actually talks about hell as a reality. In fact, in his most famous uh, sermon, known as the Sermon on the Mount, because it happened on a mountain, not because the mountain had anything to do with it. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says things like, and anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Or elsewhere, Jesus uh, tells this parable, this story that's supposed to illustrate something that's true uh, about sheep and goats. And he says in this story that, that then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. This is kind of intense Jesus today, right? <laughs> Talking about things like this. And the majority of theologians believe that this language that Jesus is using in these passages, in some ways it's a metaphor. In fact, the literal translation uh, for hell in the first passage from the Sermon on the Mount it is the word Gehenna. And Gehenna was actually a, a literal geographical place on earth at the time. It was this smoldering uh, garbage dump heat in the ancient world where people just dumped trash and burnt it, basically. And so Jesus is using that imagery to point to a powerful reality that ultimately there will come a time of judgment for people on this earth. That ultimately the story leads to that moment. And we have to understand that in order for God to be love, right, which we said at the very beginning of this, that God is love. In order for God to be good, then at some point he has to deal with the bad. At some point he has to judge that brokenness and that sin. And I think for many of us, that makes us very uncomfortable when we think about our sin, but it gives us a source of hope if we really stop and think about it in terms of the injustices and the broken things that we've seen happen to us, right? We want the bad guys to be held accountable for their actions at some point along the way. The thing that makes us uncomfortable is the degree to which we're the bad guys, right? But that's a different topic for a different day. Uh, New Testament scholar N.T. Wright, talks about this dynamic in this way. He says that God is utterly committed to set the world right in the end, and that setting right must necessarily involve the elimination of all that distorts God good, God's good and lovely creation, and in particular, of all that defaces his image-bearing human creatures. But the most common misconception that I think many of us pick up about the idea of hell and, and this place of punishment is somewhere along the way, many of us have picked up the notion that God sends people there, right? That God is the warden and he's dealing out the punishment and he actually actively sends people there. And this sounds like it makes sense on the surface, but this belief actually ignores the reality of human responsibility and the nature of evil in the world because what I want you to know today about God and what we really believe here, it's that God takes no pleasure in anyone being lost. God takes no pleasure 
in anyone being far from him. And in fact, John, who was one of Jesus' closest friends, later when he was writing about his experience of Jesus' life, he said it in this way, that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God's desire is not to send anyone to hell. God's desire is not to condemn anyone. God's desire is for every person to be saved and for every person to experience eternal life as a part of his kingdom community. Remember, that was God's original intent in creating this world in the first place, that we could share in a loving relationship with him. And sometimes I think we drift into imagining hell as this terrible place where people are held as criminals in a prison with God holding a key, right? Like God locks all the bad people away and he keeps them in there and he punishes them. But the reality of hell is that the lock is on the inside and that we all hold the key. We all make choices in life and every person holds the key. And ultimately that key is Jesus. We're gonna talk more about that as we celebrate Easter together, how Jesus' resurrection actually makes a way that all of us can find new life and can find freedom from our brokenness. But we either choose in life to declare our allegiance to King Jesus, right, to be a part of his kingdom community and to move forward and experience heaven, or in life we choose hell. In life we choose separation from God. We choose to go our own way. So the point here today, the thing I want you to get about hell, it's that God doesn't send anyone to hell. That hell is the result of the choice that we make, and it's a choice before every single one of us. Another way to say it is the way brilliant writer and thinker C.S. Lewis referred to this. He says that hell is actually the greatest monument to human freedom. That those who follow Jesus say to God, thy will be done. And those who insist on living a life without God's grace in Jesus, in the end, to them, God says, thy will be done. Right? If we want to be separate from God, then ultimately, in the end, God will give us what we want. But we have a choice to make along the way. It's not God's will that any person experiences separation from him. But what God does want is that all of us would be a part of his kingdom community. And so let's move forward and turn our focus to heaven and what God actually does want for each and every single one of us. And unfortunately, heaven can be just as, if not more confusing uh, than hell along the way. And I just want to start out by saying, like, there's a lot about heaven that we don't know. There's a lot about life after this life that will remain a mystery. And I'm not here to sell you a bill of goods that makes you feel certain today. But what I do want to do is look at the parts of uh, what we do know about eternity, the parts that have been revealed to us that we can be confident in, okay? So if anybody tells you that, like, they have life after this life figured out, they're probably selling you something, and that's not what I want to do today. Uh, Instead, what I want to do is try and bring some clarity, because it's, even though there's still mystery, that doesn't mean that we don't have some clarity or some understanding of what God wants and where he's leading everything towards. But I think one of the things that makes uh, this picture of heaven and what it means for us so confusing is the language that we use. Because often, even as little kids, we're taught that heaven is where we go when we die, right? That heaven is the place where we go after this life. Do pets go there? I don't know. I like to think so. Different conversation again for a different day. Uh, But surprisingly, if you actually like read through the narrative of scripture, if you actually go looking for for specific scriptures that talk about what happens immediately after we pass from this life into the next, there's not a whole lot of material there. There's actually not a whole lot that specifically talks about what happens to us immediately after we die. There's a few passages that kind of nod to it uh, a little bit indirectly. Uh, For example, 
Uh, Jesus, in the last week of his life, when he's crucified, he's hanging on the cross next to these two thieves. And one of the thieves uh, actually cries out and, and asks to receive grace from Jesus. And Jesus turns to this thief, this criminal, right, a sinner by his world and our world's standards. Jesus turns to him and he says, today you will be with me in paradise. And, and that's the day that Jesus himself passed away. So, so that's this kind of nod to where we go when we die. This, this thief, this sinner who received grace is with Jesus in paradise. And then one of the only other uh, kind of direct scriptures that speaks to our immediate experience after we pass from this life is this kind of side note that the Apostle Paul, who was a first century church planter, uh, writes in a letter uh, to a church in Corinth. And he says this, he says that we would rather be away from these earthly bodies for then we will be at home with the Lord. Like I said, it's kind of this like drive-by passing comment that he makes. He's talking about uh, really the, the future hope of the resurrection, which we'll get to that in just a second. But as he's describing, he says like we, it would be better, we would rather be away from our earthly bodies for then we'll be at home with the Lord. So as it relates to what happens to us immediately after this life, here's kind of what we know from scripture. It, it's that we're away from our body, right? That's kind of the captain obvious part. We're not here anymore. But according to Jesus and according to Paul and his understanding of Jesus, we're at home with God and that it's paradise. And that's about it that scripture actually says about what our immediate experience after this life is. Usually when I'm talking to people, even people who have navigated great loss, I sum it up in this way. I say that we know we're with Jesus and we know that it's good. That's about it. As far as what our experience is and those who have gone before us, like that's, that's what we know that they're with Jesus and with it's good. And, and if I stopped there, like that's still good news, right? But the even better news is that's not where the story of scripture stops. That there's actually a, a better vision of heaven than just that. It, it's better than just this vision of us like in the clouds with the harp singing worship music forever. Uh, there's actually this bigger vision of heaven that goes beyond what happens to us when we die. And instead, it's this whole redemptive conclusion to the entire story of God and because of that, the story of us uh, from the very beginning. It's this beautiful redemptive conclusion. Some theologians call this concept life after life after death. Okay, that's confusing. So like there's life right now, right? Then there's life after death, which is we're with Jesus and it's good. And then there's this concept of life after life after death. And that's what I want to share with you next. And in some ways, it's tied to this ancient Hebrew concept as well that was known as the Olam Abba, or that translates in our language to the world that's yet to come. Because the goal for God has always been to restore the world to his original intention, to get us back into that state of shalom, wholeness, mutual flourishing, connection with God. And there's actually this vision of life after life after death, or the world that is to come, that's recorded in the book of Revelation. And Revelation is one of the most controversial and hard to understand books of the Bible, and we're not gonna get too deep in the weeds of it today. But in it, John, that same guy who said that, that Jesus wasn't sent into the world to condemn the world, he has this vision, or really a few visions that were given to him about where our story is going, about what the actual conclusion of the story of God will look like. And near the end of the book, in the second to last chapter, here is what John sees. He says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, 
prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated at the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. So what does all of that mean? Well, there's a whole lot packed in there, but let me like really quickly uh, just hone in on three important truths that I think this verse and this vision really tells us about heaven, about that life after life, after death. And the first thing I want you to see is that heaven is about a new creation. That heaven is about a new heaven and a new earth. That God's intention was never to abandon or to destroy the world that he created, but it's to remake it. It's to remake it along the lines of his original intention again. That the story of God actually points ahead to this new heaven and this new earth that are fully united together. In other words, this new creation is a lot like the best of our current world, right? Full of beauty and meaning and joy and connection, but it'll be removed of all the bad. It'll be removed of all of the brokenness, death and loss and pain and everything that scars our world will be gone. And remember like the kingdom story, that picture that we started out with, that our story, uh, if you can go back one, Carter, our story right now has this overlap, right? Where we're living with all this stuff still present with us. There's uh, this overlap, the now and not yet kingdom of heaven on earth, and it shows up at times along the ways, but there's still that like presence of hell, brokenness stuff in our world. Well, this is God's ultimate vision that he will establish this new heaven. You can go to the next one. New heavens and new earth where God and people are fully and completely connected the way they were always intended to be, right? That divine dance that we started out with. It will be remade and it will be restored and all of the brokenness, all of the stuff of hell will be separated and removed from that new heaven in that new earth. The great hope of Jesus followers is that we can experience resurrection into this new eternal reality. It's a little bit of an Easter tease here, okay? But here's how the Apostle Paul uh, talks about it. He told a group of Jesus followers in the region of Philippi in the first century that our citizenship is in heaven, right? That we belong with God and we eagerly await a savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. If you've heard the Easter story, we kind of have a model for how this could possibly go. And just like in Easter, there's a lot we don't understand. The story tells us that Jesus died, right? Just like we all will eventually die. Jesus died, but God raised him to new life. And he was recognizable. He was still physical. Right? He has breakfast with his followers on the beach. All these kinds of people see him for this 40-day period where he's interacting with people along the way. And yet, he's somehow different. Like he walks through walls and does crazy stuff like that throughout the story. So, so it's Jesus and he's physical and he's present, but it's new. It's this new earth, this new Jesus, right? Who is heaven and earth combined. And, and the point here is that what God did to Jesus is this foretaste. It, it's this first fruit, as scripture would say, of what God will do for all of us who are in Christ. 
that all of us will be raised to life in the same way that Jesus was raised to life into this new heaven and new earth reality. That as Jesus' kingdom community, we are invited into this new reality where heaven and earth are, are combined and they're together and we get to live in the fullness that God always intended us to live in. You tracking with me so far? I know this is a little different or maybe new information along the way, uh, but the first thing I want you to see is that heaven is ultimately about a new creation. Second, I want you to see that heaven is about perfect relational connection. That, that heaven, the focus of scripture's teaching on heaven, it's not so much what we do in heaven. I know that's a question and I've got my thoughts, but it, it, the focus of scripture is really about who we're with in heaven. That God will dwell with us and we will be his people. And again, this is what God has always been after, right? He created us to share in the loving community that he has always been. And, and he's always wanted this kingdom community of oneness. So heaven is not just about any one individual connection with God, but it's really about all of us being a part of his kingdom community together. Again, in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, John has a picture of this. He says, After I looked, there before me was this great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes, and they were holding palm branches in their hands. little shout-out for Palm Sunday if... Uh, you know that today is Palm Sunday, but uh, it, the picture here is this giant crowd of people that nobody could count from every nation, from every tribe, right? Every language standing there in the presence of God himself. And it's a picture of what I think all of us long to see our world be like, right? Where people can live in harmony, where people can live united, uh, even celebrating our diversity, not demonizing one another, where we can live in front and connected to God and connected to one another, this is the kingdom community that we all long for, and heaven is about that perfect relational connection. So first, heaven is about new creation. Second, heaven is about perfect relational connection. And third, I want you to see through what John shared with us, is that heaven is about God's kingdom fully restored. That there is this promise that one day we will exist in the world as we are intended to exist, where there is no more crying and no more death and no more sorrow, and no more pain. And everything that went wrong in the past will be made right in the future. That the one who sits on the throne can truly say, behold, I am making everything new, right? I am restoring everything. It's this incredible picture. And again, notice how relational this moment is, right? It's not just like God says the magic words and poof, it happens. God leans in with this gentleness and this compassion and this empathy and this love. He's depicted as personally wiping away the tears from everyone's eyes. That is the kind of God that we believe in here. And that is the kind of God that we believe will dwell with us in this final kingdom community, this thing that we call heaven. That's what we can look forward to, this time where everything is as it should be. And so for just a second, uh, I've asked Lindsay if she would come up here and, and just kind of play some music because music can help us like open up our minds and our imaginations. And so she's going to play for a second. I want you just with me to try and get a sense of what this experience of heaven is going to be like uh, by just imagining a few things together. So if you would, Lindsay's going to play for a second. If you would just close your eyes and just stay where you're at. I want you to think for a second about your life and I want you to imagine maybe a moment in your life where you were struck or maybe overwhelmed by something beautiful, 
picture a moment just of beauty that you've experienced in your life. Maybe it was watching a sunrise or a sunset in some beautiful setting, maybe in the mountains or on the beach. Maybe it's artwork that you really love or, or music that you like listening to. But try and picture it. Try and feel that experience of beauty for just a second. And then with me, can, can you think about a time when you experienced something that felt, like, that felt like love, that felt like maybe even a higher form of love, this thing that felt transcendent, right? It felt beyond just our everyday reality. Maybe for you it was a first kiss. Maybe it was that first cry of your son or your daughter. Maybe it was a last kiss. Maybe a moment in your faith the moment of your baptism where you felt so loved or, or maybe something from your childhood. But for a second, just imagine and feel with me what that experience of love was like. And then for just a moment, can you think of a moment or a season in your life when you felt the deepest connection with your friends or your family? Maybe is that a holiday celebration? Maybe you're even just a kid. Maybe it was just a random night out with your best friends. And maybe it was one of those times where you just laughed so hard together that you, you felt like you were going to get sick, like your stomach hurt from it. But imagine with me and feel with me for a moment that feeling of deep connection to another person or to a community of people. And now with me, would you open your eyes for a second and imagine what it will be like to open your eyes for the first time in the new heaven and the new earth and in an instant, experience something that is infinitely greater than any of those three experiences that you just walked through, right? In a moment, you feel this experience of love and beauty and connection that is so overwhelming and so intense that in the moment, you think, like, could this actually be real? <laughs> could this actually be happening? And as if it weren't enough, then that feeling, that experience doubles down, right? And then it doubles down again, and it doubles again and again for all of eternity, that's what we're talking about <laughs> when we talk about where this story is intended to go for all of us. It's, it's not just this hope in the future for us. But as we wrap up, here's something I want you to understand. Right? That feels incredible to imagine that moment. It's powerful for us to wrap our head around it. But remember the calling on our lives as Jesus followers. It is not just to proclaim the not yet. It's not just to look ahead, but it is to bring that experience right here right now to everyone that we meet. And that's why the Apostle Paul, as he was writing to Jesus' followers, said this. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here, right? If you are in Christ, if you're trusting in Jesus, you can be this foretaste of that heaven experience to everyone that you meet. It's what you're called to do as a Jesus follower. The new creation and the new heavens and the new earth, it's not just a distant hope in the future. It is breaking into our world today. The kingdom of God is available to us today and eternity can start now whenever we line our hearts up with Jesus and let him lead us and guide us forward. So in light of that, uh, as we wrap up, there's two simple responses each of us can have. If you're here today and you don't know what that means to be in Christ, 
to, to actually experience the fullness of Christ's grace in your life, forgiving your brokenness, forgiving your sin, you can make that decision today, right? All of us make a choice, and we can choose to be connected to God by receiving the gift of his grace, or we can choose to stay separate from him and, and go our own way. But we've talked today about the outcome. You're invited to receive God's grace. And if that's you today, and you wanna have a conversation about what that can look like, it, it can be easy to feel an emotion in a room, but we really wanna make sure that we steward that decision well. And, and so if that's you today, stop by the green tent after the service. And, and you can mark the box, I think it says, I wanna follow Jesus or something like that. Just look for the name Jesus and check the box. And, and it'll prompt a conversation between us. Or, or we can talk about what this looks like for you to receive that grace. And, and second, maybe for those of us who have received that gift, I hope that this picture of eternity can give you great confidence and great joy, but I also hope that it helps you remember and recognize that the most important thing you can do in this life is point people to the fullness of the life yet to come, right? To embody the power of the kingdom of heaven here on earth, right here and right now. And this feels like a maybe low-hanging fruit church planter move, so I apologize for that. But next week's Easter, <laughs> okay, and we're going to talk about the power of the resurrection in all of our lives. That, that I mean, I'll give you a teaser of what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about how this pattern of life, death, and resurrection shows up in all of our lives. But because Jesus has risen, we can rise too. We can become something new. And, and so for you, if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, right, you're a kingdom of God person, there is a wide open opportunity right in front of you. Like, I don't know what I did with it, but those invite cards, right? We don't just like print material. <laughs> it, it's meant to be a tool that you can use to draw people into this story, to help them get that taste of heaven on earth and realize that they can be a part of the kingdom community too. And, and so my challenge to you uh, throughout this holy week as we jump into it is what if you were able to embody the new creation everywhere you went in the way that you loved your family, in the way that you, you know, cared for your kids, if your coworkers saw that something different in you, right, when you're going in the coffee shop, whatever it is, what if you could actually bring the presence of God in to everywhere that you're already present? <laughs> because that is the calling in our lives, and that's ultimately the destination for all of us. That's where the story concludes, is us perfectly connected to God. So as we wrap up, let me pray to you for that end throughout this week, that you have those kinds of opportunities and that you have the boldness to step into them. God, I pray uh, for my friends here today. I know this is like really big stuff for us to wrap our heads around. This whole series has been, right, full of tensions and maybe reframing ideas and, and wrapping our heads around it. But God, in this moment, I pray that we could be so compelled by the beauty of who you are and the beauty of what you are up to in this world that we would have our eyes wide open to join you. And as we step into this holy week, which is a week where we remember the most significant thing that ever happened in this earth, God, I pray that we could be people, those of us who are followers of Jesus, we could be people who carry your presence everywhere we go. God, for the person in the room today who doesn't know what it's like to experience your grace, I pray they would have the courage to go check that box on the card and have a conversation about it, knowing that it can change everything for everyone. And God, for all of us, I pray that we would honor you in the way that we invite people boldly to experience your love. And God, as we head into this Easter week, God, would you lead us, would you give us those opportunities, and would you give us the boldness to seize them? We pray all of that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in or near the Peru, Indiana area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend gatherings. To find directions, service times, and information about our environments for kids, 
visit us at storyperu.com.